Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to a very special edition of the Peristyle Podcast. It's what we call a recruiting Trojan Blast. The last couple of weeks we've done this on Tuesday. Normally have our show, the Peristyle Podcast, on Monday. Since USC had a couple of big wins at Oregon and then against UCLA, we focused the entire podcast on Team Talk with Dan Weber and Coach Harvey Hyde. And then last Tuesday we had Gerard Martinez on for a very special edition of the podcast talking all about USC recruiting. We thought we'd do it again this week. We bring back Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com, national recruiting analyst. Gerard, how you doing, man? Thanks for coming on. I'm doing good. Uh, it was so nice. We had to do it twice. It was. And we got a lot to get to. And uh, it was a great show. I couldn't believe we did a whole hour or even more than an hour. <laughs> we could have done more than an hour. I, yeah. I rambled and people loved it and I don't love it. So I'm trying to make this a little more concise, precise, and efficient. That's the motto, theme, and uh, credo of this Trojan Blast. All right. Well, we'll keep it tight. Uh, the season's over for USC. One advantage of no bowl practices and no bowl game to go to, the coaches can go out and recruit right away. And uh, they're allowed to visit kids, I believe, until December 17th or so. Is that correct, Gerard? Yeah, there, there's a dead period that comes right along the holidays and goes into New Year's. And then I think it's uh, around January 9th they can kind of pick it up again and have kids come on official visits and start doing in-home visits again. So um, it's a stretch. There's a little bit of a break in between. But in between that break, you also have the early enrollees that are actually going to be signing, uh, which starts, I believe, December 15th and goes on for about a week and a half period. And uh, that's going to be something that we have to watch, just as we did last year with so much um, last-minute trying to get those early enrollees in, uh, maybe some Juco guys there that are under the radar. Uh, it was pretty frantic last year, uh, you know, just at the end of the year with all that happening. And this year there could be, you know, maybe a, a guy or here or two that are under the radar that they try to slip in just to make sure that they can get as many early enrollees in this class as possible. Uh, well, we'll get to the couple of those guys that are actually visiting this weekend, a potential early enrollees. But I wanted to talk about the official visitor from last weekend, Nor Davis, uh, was on the USC sidelines there. Uh, you got to talk to him after a visit. How'd it go? Yeah, I spoke to him tonight and uh, committed to Stanford, has been committed to Stanford since May. Um, you know, unofficially visited USC over the summer after uh, committing to Stanford. And he's also taken official visits this season to Alabama, Auburn, and Stanford. Uh, so he's kind of gone through the process. His parents encouraged him to look at some other schools and, and kind of make sure that he was solid in his decision with Stanford. Um, speaking to him tonight, it sounded like thanks but no thanks a little bit with USC. Um, he has yet to make his final decision. He is keeping that door open uh, as to, you know, the schools that he's considering. Uh, but he talked about USC glowingly, you know, didn't say anything negative about USC, anything negative about the visit, and really spoke highly of them. But I got the vibe that he was kind of saying, you know, it's a great program. Uh, they do a lot of great things there with tradition and prestige, and, you know, I think it's a great school but didn't necessarily seem to be something that was going to sway him from Stanford. And so, you know, we'll see how it goes. Obviously, USC is in a very unique position with the linebacker spot because they've had two Richard freshmen progress so much this year. And it's not something that we necessarily saw um, coming into this year. I think we saw during fall camp kind of flashes of Hayes Pullard and Deion Bailey really playing well, especially Deion Bailey. I mean, he was kind of a star of several of the scrimmages. But coming into the year, you know, coming out of spring ball, you're going, oh, man, what are they going to, you know, they need linebacker help. You know, they need to recruit more linebackers. And then you have those guys play so well. And then you have Lamar Dawson as a true freshman playing. And then you have Trey Madden as a true freshman playing. Uh, all of a sudden, USC's got a lot of youth. And they've got a little bit of depth now at linebacker. And then you've got two guys that are already committed in this class, Scott Starr and Jabari Ruffin, playing outside linebacker. You kind of wonder where Noah Davis would really fit in. And, and I asked him about that. And he said, you know, he's not going to be scared away by the depth chart. You know, he wants to compete. But, you know, he's, again, 
He's a very smart kid, obviously committed to Stanford, already accepted in the school. Stanford has a 4.3 GPA. Um, he's very savvy. He knows, you know, all the right things to say about every school, and I didn't really expect him to necessarily say, you know, ah, no, that's not for me. That depth chart is, is a little daunting, or, you know, USC, eh, just don't like it because of this, that, and the other. He really glowed about the school, but didn't get the sense right now that he was really serious uh, about decommitting from uh, Stanford and, and really had some second thoughts about his commitment to Stanford. So, you know, USC, I think they, they definitely tried the best they could, um, gave him a lot to think about, but um, at this point it doesn't necessarily look like he's going to just jump and turn around and be a Trojan like we've seen a couple of other Stanford Cardinal commits have done in the past. Yeah, Mayor Carlisle and Anthony Starro, they both from last year. So, um well, let's it talk was a different about... situation with those guys just because yeah. you know, Jim Harbaugh was going on to the NFL. Exactly. Yeah, it's a whole different deal. And David Shaw's done a great job. Uh, he was named uh, on Monday the Pac-12 Coach of the Year. I didn't agree with that decision. If you look on uscfootball.com, you can read, read my story of why the Pac-12 coaches that voted on that award got it wrong. I thought it should go to Lane Kiffin hands down. But that's another story. Um, if you can check that out, it should be up on the site still on uscfootball.com. So this weekend, Gerard, a couple of official visitors that you broke the news on Monday. What, what's going on with that? Yeah, USC is going to double the official visitors that they had all season long. Uh, <laughs> at least, actually, it'll probably be more than double. But uh, uh, right now, you know, you've got uh, Scott Starr, who is an early enrollee, and we talked a little bit about that at the uh, start of the podcast. He's linebacker, been committed for a while, took an official visit to Arizona State, that game that USC actually lost in Tempe, and kind of called it quits basically after that point with the recruiting process, said, you know, I'm solid USC, that's the school I want to go to, and uh, has been to every, you know, Trojan home game, and this is going to be the week that he actually takes his official visit. And talking to him, it was interesting because, you know, there there was some second thoughts, and you could tell that, you know, there's been a lot of talk amongst his peers and, and maybe his family just about the situation at linebacker with USC, and you have Deion Bailey, who's a freshman, and you have Hayes Pullard as a freshman, playing and starting and doing so well, you know, that's, that's competition. You, you're going to come in there as a, as a true freshman, and you're going to have to push those guys uh, as sophomores, and they only got a year ahead of you. Uh, but, you know, Scott Starr, just like Jabari Ruffin, who I talked to just the night before, really talked about the competition, really said, you know, those things that SC fans really want to hear, kind of preached the motto that, Pete Carroll brought to USC as far as competition and competition being the best. And, you know, you go to USC to compete. You go to USC to take someone's spot because it makes you a better football player. And these guys are buying into that. I mean, you see this with the recruits, with Jabari and Scott Starr both really buying into it. So, you know, Scott Starr is going to come down. He's going to get a better feel for, you know, the specifics of his position and the blueprint that Joe Barry has for him. He actually had Joe Barry and uh, James Craig in home uh, the other night. Um, they talked a little bit about the visit and talked a little bit about, you know, what they saw of him and kind of their future plans for him. So he's going to go on an official visit. He's going to go down with another early enrollee possibility in Gerald Bowman, who's the six foot, 195 pound safety from Pierce college. And, um, Kind of an interesting player on the recruiting board for USC, looking at that he's going to be an early enrollee. He really, really likes USC, but he's also kind of looking at the situation with TJ McDonald. But, you know, TJ McDonald didn't necessarily have to make any kind of decision on the NFL until uh, almost mid-January. So, you know, Joe Bell is going to have to make a decision as an early enrollee. Well, before that, he's looking at Oklahoma, looking at USC. Those seem to be his top schools right now. Um, as I said, I think USC is kind of the team to beat. The T.J. McDonald situation, that kind of throws – a little bit of a wild card in there, I think, you know, with him and, and kind of USC's chances. or could, you know, be maybe a last minute, eh, I think I'm going to go to OU. Uh, but Oklahoma has some younger safeties uh, as well. Uh, it's just that with their defense, they actually use three safeties in their base scheme. So a little different than USC who only has two safeties, and he'd have to wait a year uh, for T.J. McDonald to graduate before he'd maybe play or take that spot specifically. Otherwise, he'd have to compete against T.J. and maybe Juwanza Starling to kind of win that job. He's a very good player. Though. I mean, he's a guy that uh, just, you know, attribute-wise, athletically, 
uh, kind of like the old Pete Carroll type safety who loves to play around the line of scrimmage, incredibly quick, very instinctive, uh, makes big hits, seems to always be around the ball in the box. And so, you know, he's a guy that could definitely come in and, and contribute and, and would be a player for USC. And I think you just kind of regardless of what happens with the safety position, I think he'd push some guys. So we'll see how that develops, but that's kind of a, another big recruit that they're bringing in. they got to bring these guys in early and kind of get that in-home visit process going because these guys are going to be basically graduating here in December, and they're going to be enrolling at USC January 9th. Okay. Uh, well, let's get to some questions. We have, let's see, Edward and Evan both wanted to know. Uh, he's like, I know you probably, Evan said, I know you probably get a lot of emails, uh, these types of emails, but how did the recruits enjoy the UCL ga- UCLA game uh, over the weekend? He said he saw Nelson Aguilar's tweet, who tweeted something about, I can't remember what it was, but it was something uh, funny about seeing UCLA get beat down or something. He said, I thought it was pretty funny. It seems if he's seriously, it seems as if he is seriously considering USC. If not, USC is the school to beat for him. And uh, let's see, Edward, uh, he just wanted to know what the recruits on the sideline like for the UCLA game, um, how well they played. He just heard Skip Bayless on ESPN first take talk about the teams and how to see the most he would like to see a national championship, excuse me, national championship game of LSU and USC. The whole panel agreed how good the team is playing right now and Lane Kiffin can coach. So, I mean, there's a lot of positive buzz out there. I guess they want to know what the recruits kind of thought of that coming out after that game. Okay. Now, first and foremost, that question was not rapid fire. So I do not want to be held to the standard of rapid fire when the questions are that long. There are some long questions. I'm protesting. Okay, so basically the question of those two questions is, how did the recruits like the UCLA game? Well, they loved the UCLA game. Um, you know, they went there and, and uh, you know, as host by USC, uh, they definitely went there kind of looking to see USC win and win decisively. Most of the recruits that I talked to, guys like Kevon Seymour, uh, didn't necessarily expect it to be a blowout uh, to that proportion. Even though Art Davis said, you know, I thought USC was a really good school. Offensively, they could do some great things. But as a rivalry game, you know, emotions, there are things that come into play that you kind of never know. There's weird things that happen in rivalry games in college football every year. We see it all the time. <laughs> this was not one of those times. This was a game that was controlled by USC from the kickoff, and it just was you know, downhill from there basically for, uh, for the Trojans. And so you know, it, it was real easy for them. I think the recruits kind of, you know, really didn't have a lot to say as to, you know, how, how do you how do you talk about, you know, 55 to nothing win other than to say it was very impressive. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't quite like the Stanford game in terms of trying to articulate, you know, how the game went and how it impacted recruiting, even though it was a loss. Stanford game really was a was a significant game for USC, and I don't think anybody really saw it as that going in. Uh, from a recruiting standpoint, necessarily. I mean, obviously, it's a big game. It's on a big stage. You're playing number four team, uh, and it's kind of USC with uh, a chip on their shoulder. You know, USC wanted to come into that game and, and be able to show that uh, that they can play with some of the best teams in the nation, despite all the clouds of sanctions and all the talk that you know they they weren't going to be able to compete on that level for a long time. But the, the recruits really seem to. I mean, the, the energy of the the Coliseum and the atmosphere is something that comes up time and time again in conversations with kids who have been to games this year. And I think I asked Kevon because he's been to every single USC game this year. He's been to every home game this year. And obviously Kevon Seymour, 6'1", 180-pound cornerback from your high school, four-star Army All-American, a guy that is kind of – as we've talked about him being the plan A at cornerback for USC and plan B being kind of down the list a little bit. You know, it's like it's Kevon Zemore and everybody else. And so getting him there every game of the season, the coaches being able to build that rapport with him throughout the season, he kind of ranked the games and kind of the atmosphere. And he said, you know, UCLA was cool. It was different. It was obviously, you know, that rivalry game. You kind of get that, that feel from things. But Stanford was like the game. That was the electric game. And I think Trojan fans, you know, if, if you're out there and you and, and you're, you're listening to the podcast and, and you went to that game and you know kind of what they're talking about, that's kind of the, the atmosphere I think Lane Kiffin wants to reproduce for as many home games as he can, you know, in the future. Because, again, with recruiting, that really made an impact. Those guys really talk about that game uh, and, and really kind of glow about 
that game and the atmosphere of that game and just the environment that it produced. Um, but the UCLA game, like I said, different. They were excited about it. The team was obviously just, you know, extremely impressive. Um, a lot of the recruits actually ended up leaving in the fourth quarter. Um, very few of those guys actually stuck around <laughs> and went in the locker room. Uh, the few guys did that uh, were commits. You know, they talked about the seniors addressing the team, and that was pretty significant. I mean, that kind of went into you know, what Jabari Ruffin talked about in the article that we put up Monday morning. Uh, you can check that out on uscfootball.com. You know, he had some really great quotes kind of talking about, you know, what those seniors were talking about, kind of, you know, regurgitating a little bit of that, uh, the speeches that, that he listened to, um, and, and just, you know, guys like Christian Tupu and uh, Rhett Ellison addressing the team and talking about what it means to be a Trojan. And then you hear those commits kind of reiterating what those guys say and what that kind of meant to them. That was probably the most specific and significant uh, part about that game. And like I said, those guys that were uncommitted guys, guys like Ellis McCarthy, uh, a few surprise visitors that showed up that we can't really talk about right now. There were some guys there that, you know, we didn't necessarily report that showed up to the UCLA game that, you know, we're pretty impressed with that game. But a lot of those guys, they, they kind of bolted because it was like, you know, 43 nothing, and it's like, okay, time to, you know, hit the traffic kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I was kind of joking with Kevon, and, and we talked about uh, just the traffic after the game. And it was like, you know, the best part about a blowout like that, no traffic. So uh, that was another very positive about the UCLA game. <laughs> but in general, it was just great game. SC played great. And, um, it, and, it, and it does, I mean, it's just a capper to the season where USC is – has really played well, and they look like that program on the rise. And you have those programs that are either, you know, you got the championship programs, the programs that are kind of in the top five year in and year out, uh, you know, a program like Alabama. Then you've got the programs that are kind of on that, they're, they're those kind of mediocre bowl teams that kind of can't seem to break into the BCS, but they don't really necessarily play terrible either you know they're kind of those teams that are respectable uh, and they're going to win a game maybe they shouldn't get shouldn't win during a year but then they probably lose a game that they shouldn't lose during the year and they kind of hover in that you know seven eight wins uh kind of range each year and then you've got the doormats which is kind of where ucla is right now and then you've got those teams that they're the uprising teams and there's only a few of those teams in college football every year because either you're winning or you're not so there's only a few teams that kind of have had you know, some losses or something that's happened in the program. Obviously, with USC, it's been the sanctions, the sanctions and kind of coming away from some disappointing years. Granted, those disappointing years for some programs would be, you know, great years. But for USC, going to Emerald Bowl, that is not acceptable. I mean, they, they want to go to a bigger bowl game than that. Uh, they want to go to the Rose Bowl, and they haven't been able to go to bowl games. And with the sanctions on top of it, a lot of people have kind of doubted the program and its future. And then when you turn around and you beat, your crosstown rival, 50 to nothing. Uh, you, you you come to a point where you know you really maybe had a chance to beat Stanford, number four team in the nation. And then you turn around and you go into Eugene and you beat the number three team in the nation. People look at you and say, all right, this team is getting better. Everybody wants to be a part of something better because they want to kind of be at the forefront, kind of be a pioneer, if you will, of a national championship team, maybe a dynasty. USC, quite frankly, it became harder for them to recruit when they were winning every year and we're that championship team kind of like Alabama because some of the kids start looking at it and go, well, you know what, that's been done already. You know, I want to be on the team that's kind of the first team to get that wave going. I want to be on that USC 2002-2003 team. So these kids now that you're hearing from and are going to these games, they're kind of feeling like, hey, this might be 2002-2003. And then with the spin of the sanctions, only bringing in 15 a year, a lot of kids feel like, man, that's actually a good opportunity for me to go in, and USC's not going to turn around and recruit over me. You know, They're only going to bring in 15 guys the next year. I'm going to get a real chance, a real look, to be able to contribute to that team. That uh, makes sense. Um, okay, well, thanks. Yeah, I did that. See, you long question, long answer. That's true. Uh, well, that was Evan and Edward. <laughs> they want to know how the – Recruits felt in the USC sideline. Good stuff. Uh, let's see. We have um, Avery. His, he said, my name is Avery Nobles. I am a uh, probably one of the few USC fans in Georgia, let alone SEC country. I've definitely been impressed with the growth of the team and everyone buying into Coach Kiffin and Coach O's philosophy. His questions are how the wins are translating into success for recruiting. Uh, he said he'd really like to have both the Armsteads ne- next year. And just looking ahead – can the number three receiver spot be a spot for the most competition with guys like Kyle Parader, George Farmer, Flournoy, Butler, Victor Blackwell? I think the emergence of a third receiver 
consistently along with the two tight ends make the pass game completely balanced and and also Gerard the on the recruiting front could there be someone that comes in that tries to uh, compete for that third receiver spot well we kind of touched on the impact it's had on recruiting and and, and people maybe are listening and, and going well where are the commits then you know what, what where's the production well recruiting is not all about uh you know the the public commitment so what happens really on signing day is really where you see the, the work that's been put in and what the season has produced. It's, it's really about signing day that way. And there's going to be commitments before signing day. But, again, we talked about this, I think, last week with the 15, which is probably going to be a little closer to, you know, 18, 20. You really you got to be careful. You know, you got to make sure you know who's really coming in and who's not. You don't want to oversign. You can't oversign. You just can't. Uh, but then you don't want to undersign either because you're still working with that 75, and you kind of have to get as close to 75 guys on the scholarship roster as possible. So just because there's not commits doesn't necessarily mean uh, that this uh, recruiting momentum is not building and there's not a lot of positive things happening kind of under the radar for USC. Um, now, in terms of – uh, just the team and kind of where it's going, um, you know, it, it's definitely a lot of success. Um, I think that, uh, that again, it kind of builds that momentum. You're just not hearing a lot of it on the radar. Um, what was the second question? I kind of, I'm, I'm rambling now because you give me the two receiver, questions. Uh, I, the receiver spot. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Receiver. See that you can break, dude, break these questions up from here. <laughs> give me, give me a break here. Um, the, 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 the receiver question. I think a lot of people kind of cross their fingers and hope that Kyle Prater becomes that third guy just because you see the immense talent that he has. And really, if you're a USC fan and you're a smart USC fan, it's not all about recruiting. Recruiting is very, very important, but maybe just as important is the development of the players on the roster already. Okay, you went out and you got Kyle Prater, five-star receiver. Now you want to see him play to that level at USC. So you want to see him get better and better and better at USC. And so, you know, if you talk about the third receiver position and a guy that can really kind of complement Marquise Lee and Robert Woods, I think you're crossing your fingers and your hope, and that guy is Kyle Prater, that, you know, he bulks up, you know, gets a little more physical, becomes a little more confident, and is able to really contribute to the team and be that guy that we've seen in summer workouts, the guy that we've seen in practice. Um, so, you know, that's, I think that there needs to be some, some hope there. Um, but now in the recruiting front, you got Darius Rogers coming in, who's, who can be a very dominant player. I mean, he's raw. He's going to have to learn, uh, you know, how to block better. He's going to have to learn how to be a little more selfless guy and kind of do those things away from the football that, you know, receivers in high school that, that catch a bunch of balls don't necessarily know how to do. Uh, they have to get used to that, especially with the system that they have now with Ted Gilmore. You know, when they run those receiver screens, you've got to block for people. I mean, that's what it did. That's first and foremost. You're not going to see the field if you're not blocking for people. And, again, that kind of goes back to Prater and some of the young guys that are on the team now that haven't necessarily played, you know, catching touchdown passes is great. But you watch Robert Woods, you watch Marquise Lee, those guys that are out there blocking. They're out there knocking people on their asses, and that's very important to the system. So that's kind of what they're going to preach, and they want to see. So a young guy that comes in, he's going to have to do that too. That's where Darius Rogers is going to have to learn that. He's going to have to realize, hey, you know what, I'm not just going to come in and catch 50 balls and not have to block. <laughs> You're going to have to learn to block first and foremost. Um, now, there's you know, a lot of room there for maybe that second receiver, maybe a third receiver. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with the current roster. You know, that 75 is still looming. You know, I kind of mentioned today on the peristyle a little bit about, you know, uh, that receiver position right now, recruiting-wise, has kind of gone crazy. There's a lot of names out there. Um, a guy that just recently announced that he was going to officially visit USC is Stephon Diggs, um, who's a six-foot, 190-pound receiver and a five-star uh, from back east, from Pennsylvania. He's a guy, you know, Bishop McDivitt, USC had a really good shot at getting Shady McCoy, LaShawn McCoy, who went to Bishop McDivitt and uh, really played around with USC but didn't have the grades to get to USC, but really talked up USC. So, you know, that's kind of an area where they've actually had a little bit of success recruiting some of those guys. Uh, so now with, you know, I guess Diggs interested enough that he'll come out and kind of look and see himself maybe in the Robert Roots role, a similar player bill-wise. I don't know if he's that good, um, but, you know, obviously when you start to 
bringing guys that are coming from back east that are five-star guys that really doesn't necessarily talk up USC early in the recruiting process. It just goes to show you the season that the receivers had at USC has just, I mean, that's exactly directly influenced and affected and impacted recruiting. So that's why you're starting to see those guys, you know, kind of line up to try to come in and, and take official visits. And there's other guys on the board as well. Some guys that we haven't necessarily talked about, some guys that we won't be able to talk about until maybe a little later in the week uh, that uh, might be looking at USC as well. So um, that's a really crazy position. I mean, you know, Lane Kiffin's just done a spectacular job of making sure he gets his receivers and his playmakers the ball, and that's definitely going to be uh, impactful for, you know, that, that, that next guy that comes in and is able to be that third receiver that kind of comes in and, and develops under Robert Woods and Marquise Lee. But like I said, going to have to be a guy that blocks. You want a blocking guy. I think Gilmore likes that, like you said. So uh, that's going to be a big part, not just catching touchdown passes. But that's what everyone saw because Marquis Lee came in and did that as a true freshman. Pretty impressive. Uh, he had a great block on that run by Curtis McNeil. I mean, did. that was a perfect example of him just seeing off one guy and being the man coverage. And once, you know, Curtis McNeil got past him, he was gone. And that, again, you know, USC doesn't have a, a spectacular running game with, you know, spectacular running backs. I mean, you know, Mark Tyler and Curtis McNeil are solid running backs, but they're not, you know, the Uber Reggie Bush type running backs that you go, oh, these guys are first round picks. No, not at all. But a lot of those big runs that a guy like Curtis McNeil is breaking, a lot of that is because those guys at the receiver position are blocking downfield. And, and that's why they got Gilmore. I mean, you see what Lane Kiffin's thought process was in that hire. I mean, they get a guy like Gilmore who comes from Nebraska, and Nebraska running that option, those guys block more than they catch the ball. So you bring in a guy that you know you've got the athletes, you bring in a guy that can coach him up and show him how to do kind of the blue-collar work at the receiver position, and that's going to be, you know, the big thing. Guy's going to have to come in. He's going to have to be humble put his ego aside and say, you know what, maybe I'm not going to catch a lot of balls in fall camp, but I can show that I'm physical and I'm going to come out here and I'm going to work harder and I'm going to block people. And that guy is going to be the guy that ends up kind of being the, the, the next in line with, you know, Lee and, and Woods obviously already established. Okay. Uh, Pat has a question. He said, I expect the coaches to use the no bowl season to go out there and do some recruiting. What limitations are there on them? No real limitations. Um, I mean, there's limitations in general, but we could go on about that for all day, about the NCAA <laughs> recruiting handbook and the limitations for recruiting. But not, no more limitations for USC than any other team that I'm aware of. So it's it's pretty much, you know, they're just not going to bowl, so they're getting the extra time for in-home visits. Uh, they're going to be able to travel a little more, and uh, they'll definitely use their time efficiently. I mean, they did a hell of a job recruiting last year, um, and that's just a great recruiting staff. So they're going to be out there, and, and, you know, Ted Gilmore, he was out there at Pennsylvania recruiting uh, Stephon Diggs, who we just talked about. And so he's kind of closed that deal to get an official visit. And so that's you kind of see those guys out on the road, the, the, the production that they're already doing. So no real limitations there. They're just going to go out and recruit like heck as everyone. But, I mean, it's kind of an advantage, right, because they don't have to – do those bowl practices and, and, and prepare. Stuff oh, it's a huge advantage. I mean, there's, 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 there is something to be said for being able to host recruits at bowl practices because we saw that with Pete Carroll. You know, they would have official visits and the kids would be able to come and watch them practice. And that's big. I mean, kids like to see the football team doing football things, you know. But then you can also say, well, on the other hand, these coaches are able to spend more one-on-one time with the kids that weekend. They don't have a practice that they have to mess around with. They don't have, you know, responsibilities with getting prepared for the bowl game. It's really kind of more one-on-one, hanging out, talking, getting to know these recruits. And there's probably also, uh, there's something to be said for the evaluation process and being able to kind of know the recruits a little more, you know, not just going out and going, well, this kid's a five-star receiver. We want to bring him in. You know, Ted Gilmore and Lane Kiffin are going to be able to sit down with Stephon Diggs and go, is this really the guy we want? I mean, we have a real pick of the litter, so to speak, with the, the wide receiver position. You know, is, is this guy really kind of capable of being the guy that we see, you know, in our system being successful? So there's, there's, there's definitely an advantage. And like I said, I think more than anything, it's travel. 
because you can get you can't take off in the middle of the week and be gone for three or four days in a row when you're trying to prepare for a game. So you know you got Ergeron taking off uh, off to to Washington with Joe Barry to go see guys. You know they went and saw Ellis McCarthy today, uh, Ed Ergeron and, and Kennedy Pola, and that's huge. You know kind of trying to kind of finalize things and 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 make that that home run that home stretch pitch for his family and and again just kind of build those relationships getting to know the family and the kids and just more familiarity you know the more familiarity the better and like i've always said the greatest recruiting tool for usc is those coaches it's been that way with Pete carroll it's the same way under lane kiffin you know maybe when they get some facilities the facilities will sudden you know that'll be something that kids start to talk about uh but you know it's always been for the last decade the coaches are what make the difference at usc how those guys handle themselves and the effort they put and the passion they put into recruiting um that it just it that's the closer that's and they and the closer is that they've got you know three or four closers on that team I and mean, they've got lane they've got ed they've got kennedy pola um you know they've got guys who really kind of understand uh what it takes and and really the 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 work that needs to go in the grind you know to make sure that they get those guys and and close strong this year and they did it last year you know they they close on some guys that were really make or break guys to make that class good and uh, you're looking at this year, you know, it's not going to be a big class, so there's not going to be as many guys in the class. But quality over quantity, you know, they could still pull in a, definitely a top ten class. I think they, they might shock some people and might, might debatably get into that top five uh, with this class. And, and people are kind of going to be in denial about it. But uh, quality-wise, it's going to be a, another one of those classes where you see USC's, you know, star ranking or average uh, rating for their recruits, you know, be number one across the nation. Okay, let's see. We have a question from Mike. It's kind of recruiting, but he wanted to hold the question till the end of the season, and it's now the end of the season. He said, what can you tell us about the kids from last year's recruiting class who didn't play this year, who looks like they would really have a good chance to contribute next year? Well, that's a good question. I mean, that's a question about, you know, red shirts, basically, and some of the guys that uh, came in on that that. 30 plus, you know, <laughs> recruiting class and the 30, uh, 29, I think that actually ended up making it, uh, in the class. Um, you know, Javaris Allen, we, that's a guy that, you know, people ask about a lot. They, they asked about time and time again, kind of going down into fall camp and he wasn't on campus yet. We have yet to really see him do a whole lot. So that's kind of a guy that is, is still a question mark a little bit as to, you know, where does he really contribute? Is he going to be a running back for USC? You know, could he move over and play maybe linebacker? You know, how good is he really going to be? Uh, there's still a lot of questions uh, with him. Um, Ryan Henderson is a guy that I think is, is going to be maybe a solid player for USC. I was, I was a little skeptical about them offering him, uh, mainly because he's more of a, a measurable guy than necessarily a production guy. In high school, he really just played cornerback, didn't play any offense, didn't really even play special teams. But he was a guy that ran a 4-4, had a 42-inch vertical leap, and USC seemed to like that about him. They felt like they could maybe build him into being a football player, not just an athlete. And he's been a guy that we've seen, you know, in practice, has done some good things on special teams, been a good punt blocker and a, and a kick blocker for them. So, you know, you like to see a guy who's active and, and continuing to kind of, uh, you know, participate and, and contribute and just make some plays in practice. I mean, that's kind of a significant thing when you're not necessarily playing on game day, but you're still, you know, making some plays in practice. Um, Charles Burks uh, hurt his knee, you know, so he's not playing this year. Um, he's, he switched over to defensive end. He was playing fullback. It looks like he's going to kind of stay at defensive in. I like him. I think he's a real blue-collar kind of low-maintenance type guy to go in there and just work hard, and I think he'll be a contributor for USC. Um, Greg Townsend, big kind of uh, young, uh, kind of baby fat going on, kind of a kid that you, you've got a lot of really upside and a guy that I think Ed Ergeron really develops. And this is kind of one of those guys that, you know, Ed Ergeron can kind of put his name on, who, who you know, Greg Townsend, obviously with the name and the bloodlines, um, but a guy that anybody who saw in high school saw a guy that was underachieving. Um, you know, he really wasn't playing up to his potential and kind of going through the motions a little bit. I think, you know, Ed Ergeron is going to, you know, challenge 
challenge him and try to get the most out of him. And we saw flashes from him. Uh, we saw flashes from him in fall camp, you know, early in the season where, you know, he'd do things that you go, oh, you know, that was quick. Or, oh, you know, he was powerful there. And it's natural. It's not necessarily a lot of technique. It's not a lot of teaching. He still has that in front of him. So he's going to be a guy to watch, probably strong side, defensive end. You know, he could develop maybe into a three technique if he puts more weight on. Uh, at this point, he still looks like a strong side defensive end. Um, Christian Hayward, uh, a guy that we kind of saw consistently kind of get hit, get beat a lot in the one-on-one drills, but then turn around and have a sack almost every practice in fall camp. And he's kind of one of those guys that when you play in team situations, he seems to play really well. He has like a lot of awareness uh, for blocks and double teams and how to kind of get around that and kind of use the guy next to him uh, to, to kind of team up against the offensive line and confuse them. So he's kind of an interesting player, long arms, a good pass rusher. Um, I think he needs to develop a little more on his run uh, support, basically, you know, filling the gaps, making sure that he's good with this tackling, um, playing low, and, and, and again, a guy that, you know, fundamentally has a long ways to go, and that's, you know, a good thing because physically he's doing well and he's making plays just based on his talent. Um, you know, guys like, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, other guys that have redshirted, any, any guys that you can think of off the top of your head that really kind of have done some good things? Um, I know Junior Palmer is a guy that I've talk- talked about before. Antoine Woods. Antoine Woods was, yeah, he, I mean, that's a guy, when we talk about flashes, a guy who was completely out of shape, you know, when he got to USC, um, at, at well over 320 pounds, probably more closer to 340, but still showed such quickness and good feet, and, and he, and Ed Ergeron loves him, I mean, Ed Ergeron really loves him and thinks, He's going to be a diamond in the rough. He's going to be a guy that's going to play a long time at USC. Gave him number 99, and that was kind of significant in and of itself. So, um, Antoine Woods, I mean, I think, and we talked about this last year, or, or last year, <laughs> last week, when we were talking about Ellis McCarthy and kind of where USC sat with defensive tackles and defensive linemen. USC's pretty solid with one-shade guys. You know, they've got a good group of guys that can play that one shade, that can play over the center, that are kind of low to the ground, quick, powerful defensive tackles. Where they kind of need help is, is, is that three technique, that bigger guy that gets in the passing lane, that has the speed to get upfield. And, you know, with Armand Armstead and not cleared medically, they don't really have that three technique who can be a big-time guy that's a big-time pass rusher. Obviously, Jared Tavai is going to be a really good player for him. Um, they're bringing in P.O. Batuve, and it sounds like they're bringing him as a defensive tackle. He's probably going to be a Christian Tupu guy, and we talked about the comparisons. People are saying, well, you know, it reminds me a lot of J.R. Tavai. I don't think he's like J.R. Tavai. I don't think he's the athlete J.R. Tavai is. I think he's more of a just a, a, a blue-collar uh, work hard, you know, street fighter like Christian Tupo, a guy that's just going to come in and smart and just work hard and just, you know, be kind of a pummeler, so to speak. And uh, and so I think with that that one shade, with, you got guys like Antoine Woods, um, and even J.R. Tavai could come over and probably play that one shade. Uh, you've got some really good players at that position for USC. And like I was saying, the one guy who jumps out to me is maybe – kind of the jewel uh, talent-wise and ability-wise. If he can keep his head on straight, Junior Palme has such potential at USC. And we saw it for just a, a glimpse of, of what his potential is uh, in the, the final fall camp scrimmage where he had, I think it was like three, three catches for 70 yards or something. And that was his first practice in full pads. He had not practiced in full pads that whole week he got to campus late because he was in summer school. And so he was basically going around in no pads, <laughs> just a helmet for most of his practices. He had like three or four practices that week and had Justin Mesa tight ends coach shadowing him everywhere, showing him exactly where to line up. So he gets into the scrimmage and has a couple of plays where he's just running over guys and he's a beast. And if you ever go to the Coliseum and you watch games this past year, you saw him in the middle of every dance scrum when the team's dancing on the sidelines going crazy after a touchdown. You usually saw this dude with just hair everywhere, this beastly looking guy that's not playing. Well, that was Junior Palme. He broke his foot in that scrimmage, which we didn't even notice. He, I don't know if he noticed <laughs> because he never came out of the game. It wasn't necessarily this big thing where like, he's on the ground or he's limping around. It, it just all of a sudden he popped up in a boot um, at the uh, Salute to Troy later that night. Uh, but that kid right there, he's 6'3", 242, he'll probably be 250. That's the guy that, you know, I think they have looked 
at his kind of being that Rhett Ellison, um, H-back, tight end, uh, fill-in. You know, they've got a couple guys on the roster that could do that, but I think Junior Palm, man, there's a lot of potential with that kid. He's definitely a guy that if he would have stayed healthy, he might have been able to play this year uh, just on special teams because he's that good of an athlete. So that's kind of the summation of some of the redshirt guys and how they come along. Um, like I said, development is key. That is really what makes a program really, really good. You saw it with Pete Carroll. You started seeing less of it with Pete Carroll as they kind of went on. They started getting all these great recruiting classes, but guys just, you know, they, they come in and they'd be freshmen, they'd be sophomores, and they contribute, but you weren't seeing them necessarily get a whole lot better. What we saw from this coaching staff this past year were guys like Deion Bailey, who redshirted, kind of off the radar, and then really made an impact, and you really saw them in fall camp just explode onto the scene. If USC is able to continue to do that. Recruiting is great. It's, it's, it's important to get those guys, but if you can get guys that are good on the roster and you can actually get more out of them and they can start to overachieve instead of underachieve, that's what's significant. That's really what's going to make the team really good in the future. Okay. Uh, well, let's get to... I think we have a, a good chance to rapid fire some of these. We have a question from Paul, and he kind of wrote along, but I'll just kind of summarize. He's a retired gentleman, and he's on uscfootball.com like 10 times a day, he says. His wife is thinks he's crazy. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, he says, what's wrong with this guy? Was I in my right mind? Because of uscfootball.com or because of other reasons? Because of uscfootball.com. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, he's like, he's been a recruiter alcoholic since the late 50s, he said. Uh, for the most part, you had to wait until the Shrine North-South High School All-Star Game in July to get any info about who was going where. Yeah, you had to call one one nine hundred numbers, uh, what all the way up into the eighties. So yeah, that's uh, you go back to the newspaper days to try to figure out who was actually signing where. Exactly, uh, and he asked some questions that uh, are kind of pet peeves of yours, uh, but well, we can kind of go through them. He he has a list of guys. He wants to know percentages. Maybe you can kind of give like your gut feel of each one of these guys. What USC's chances are? You want to do that? For an old recruit, Nick, definitely. Okay. Uh, first up, there's a guy. I don't know if we've mentioned him on the podcast before. Uh, Ellis McCarthy. Who? <laughs> <laughs> Five-star defensive tackle from Monrovia. Ellis McCarthy. We mentioned him many, many times. I was being sarcastic. What about his, his chances for USC? Uh, I would say very good chance. Okay. Very good chance for Ellis McCarthy. Uh, Kevon Seymour, who's been at every home game, according to Gerard earlier on the podcast. Well, according to him, too. Uh, great chance. For great USC. chance. Okay. Uh, Nelson Aguilar. Very good chance for USC. Really? Okay. You want to give some people a little background on Nelson just quick? Nelson, uh, 6'1", He's a five-star athlete from Tampa, Florida. Goes to Berkeley Prep High School, kind of a smaller high school in Tampa. Um, a guy that, yes, does tweet back and forth with Robert Woods uh, quite frequently. Seems to have developed a relationship with some of the USC players. He was at uh, USC for the Rising Stars camp this past summer and was also at the Rising Stars camp this summer before. So he came away uh, from that first summer going to USC saying USC was his dream school. Um, obviously he has a good relationship with the Kiffins because of you know their kind of reputation in Tampa. And so he's a guy that you know is kind of one of those kids just kind of sounds like a USC guy. You know, I know I've said that about Zach Banner, the 6'9", 310-pound offensive tackle um, from uh, Lakewood to Washington. Um, there's just certain guys that kind of give you that vibe. And, and, and Nelson Aguilar is definitely one of those guys. He's been very, very low and close to the vest with his recruitment. You know, he loves every school. <laughs> He's not saying anything. I think after he said USC was his dream school, he learned probably the hard way after, you know, every – Coach in Florida uh, called him and, and you know kind of trying to freak out about that. Uh, he probably said, "Okay, no more dream schools. I need to kind of be quiet about this." Um, and so his recruitment is is kind of mirrored Joe McKnight's to some extent. You know, I have heard from some pretty good sources that his parents are very hesitant about him leaving state. Um, to go to college, so we'll kind of see how that plays out. It, it, it's definitely not one of those things where it's a lock. I mean, there's no locks in recruiting, and especially there's no locks when you're recruiting a kid who's almost 3,000 miles away. So we'll see how it develops. But, you know, obviously, coming out to USC twice on his own dime, um, he will take an official visit in January, and we'll kind of see what happens from there. Uh, new five-star, Kyle Murphy. Uh, good 
chance to fair chance. Uh, I think Stanford still leads, and he's a real hard guy to read. Um, but I, I don't think USC has a has a has a has a great shot at him. But I think they have a good shot. I think they're still in this top two, and um, they're going to recruit him hard down the stretch. Um, it's just going to be one of those things where you know they're also going to be recruiting guys like Andres Pete and uh, you know some of those other offensive tackles that are out there. So we're going to kind of see how that all kind of shakes out, I guess. Uh, you mentioned Andres Pete. He was next on the list. Right now, and this is all right now because, you know, recruiting is fluid, and anybody who's been following recruiting for as long as our general, he would definitely know that uh, this is uh, something that, you know, it can change week to week, uh, day to day sometimes. Uh, this, I would say, particular situation right here, right now, would be very good. Uh, Noir Davis. Mm, not very good. Because uh, we did talk about him already. And then, let's see, we have Gerald Bowman. Great. Great. Okay. Great to very good. Great to very good. Again, I'm kind of going back to the DJ McDonald thing. I don't know. I know that's significant. I kind of see him maybe just kind of going with the flow and saying, eh, I'm going to go to USC anyways. Um, but he was definitely there, man. I mean, he definitely likes Oklahoma. He's talked about Oklahoma with other recruits. Um and so there's, I mean, that's a legitimate school for him. Uh, so I, I guess I'd say very good right now. I mean, I, I get the sense, my gut says great, but my head says very good. <laughs> okay. Um, he also had a question about sleepers. Uh, he said, you don't have to name names, but any guys that USC is pushing hard for that have maybe flown completely under the radar? Well, there's, there's, there's two different kinds of sleepers. There's a sleeper that is a kid that is a really good player, J.R. Tavai would be a sleeper that's not necessarily rated high, that USC gets kind of a diamond in the rough type sleeper. Then there's a sleeper that's a kid that's rated high that people just don't think USC has any kind of shot at. Um, some people could say maybe Nelson Aguilar is a sleeper for USC. There are dark horse for them. Um, those people don't subscribe to USCfootball.com, but, you know, they would say that. Um, I would say yes, definitely to – the latter, the former, it's kind of hard to say because, I mean, if there's a kid that nobody really knows about that's kind of under the radar that's not ranked, well, there's a reason for that. I mean, <laughs> we probably don't necessarily know too much about him right now either. Um, I'm sure there's a couple of those guys kicking around. In fact, I kind of know there are those guys too, but there's definitely some guys that people are not talking about USC being associated with that they are recruiting and that they do have a very good chance at getting a signature from. So, yeah, there are some surprises out there. And I know people are going, oh, okay, Gerard, we hear that from the websites every year. You know, every website has this big kaboom bomb recruit surprise guy. Okay, we heard it. It's just a business ploy. Not with us. I mean, not with us. I mean, we, we don't try to push that too much. And if there is that kind of going on, um, we try to follow up and kind of say, hey, this is who it was. It just didn't really happen. But, you know, USC's got I, – I know of a quarterback recruit that they're involved with that people don't know about. I know of a receiver recruit that they're involved with. I know that there's a couple other players out there that they're definitely involved with that may actually officially visit uh, that maybe we don't hear a whole bunch about that official visit. That's one of the other things about, you know, not having a bowl week, not necessarily having any type of uh, team preparations. Uh, there's no media around ever, so USC kind of can go in the cloak of darkness sometimes with some of these visits and bring guys in uh, on the low, and you don't necessarily know who's coming and who's going. Um, I remember uh, back in the day when uh, they brought in a bunch of kids and uh, they were at the basketball game, and uh, Trojan Hoya, who's probably listening right now, who's uh, you know been on the Peristyle for a long time, he uh, he posted like a like a three minute little video from I think his cell phone uh, at the basketball game of the recruits. They were kind of of like sitting across from him and he just posted a quick little deal and it was like you know people were like oh who are these guys you know who's there is that dj Brown? is that this guy and that's that guy and somebody i mean they had they did, i think Von Telemac turned into percy harvin and guys were just like there was all these names of guys who were visiting usc who were not visiting usc but they couldn't make out who was who and it just it was kind of it, you know the epitome of the, the, what happens in January with the college football fans with recruiting, you know, they, they're looking at guys and they're just like, you know, they, there's always that mega bomb silent kind of under the radar recruit that nobody knows about that's going to commit to your school. Um, but you know, there are schools that actually can do that kind of stuff. And USC is one of them. The USC has been one of those schools that have gotten guys, 
um, you know, on signing day that nobody thought they were. You know, Lamar Dawson, you could argue, was kind of sort of a guy like that. Obviously, he had officially visited USC, had USC in his interest for a long time, so it wasn't completely out of nowhere. But, you know, people certainly weren't going to put a lot of money on USC getting his signature. And I guarantee you, the guys that people are not even talking about right now that will probably end up visiting USC that uh, – I might actually put a little bit of money that they might actually commit to USC. So there's um, there is some of that to be said. So we'll see how it shakes out. Again, it's fluid. You know, things change from day to day, sometimes hour to hour, sometimes minute to minute. Okay. Uh, thanks for those, Paul. Uh, JC wanted to know if you guys remember Jason Gibson from last year, uh, another Sarah High School kid. Um, he wanted to compare a few guys to him. Uh, I, I wanna, it's Adenabo is his last name. Ifati? Odenabo. Fadi Odenabo, right. Okay, Fadi Odenabo. And he also wanted to know about Tariq McCord and uh, Dante Fowler Jr. But you can you can go with Odenabo or whoever, however you want to take it. Uh, comparing him to Jason Gibson. Actually, that's a really good comparison. Um, you know, a guy that, that really kind of has that tweener, you're not necessarily sure, maybe could play outside linebacker. Um, I, I think with Odenabo, there's a better chance of him putting his hand on the ground. He's a little taller um, a little more lanky, and I think he has a little more room to grow. Um, Jason Gibson could have played defensive end in college. He, I think, was just uh, a little insecure about that. You know, he's at 216. He didn't feel like he had the frame to put on weight to play defensive end. He's like, man, I'm never going to be 250, 260. Well, you don't necessarily have to be 250, 260 to play defensive end, uh, especially not college. So he kind of went the route of, I got to play outside linebacker. Dave was not quite like that. He's, I think, open to playing defensive end and, and probably at this point wants to play defensive end. He's only played high school football a few years, and that's really his only experience in playing football. So he's very, very raw. Um, but that is a good, a, a good comparison just because of the athleticism, um, that, that, that ability to kind of maybe stand up if he doesn't gain weight because he's got the athletic, you know, 4 four forty. Uh, but then a guy that, you know, at high school level has been pretty productive being able to put his hand down and play a straight defensive end from like a full three scheme. Um, with the other guys, different. I wouldn't really compare Tariq McCord or Dante Fowler Jr. to Jason Gibson. I think both those guys are, are better. Um, I think they're a little more ready to come in and compete early. Um, McCord, you know, from a, from a, from a frame standpoint, from a build standpoint, isn't really a big guy and, and, and is similar to Jason Gibson that way, but is, is definitely more of a, of a football player at this point. And I think a guy that you can play defensive end even smaller. Again, he could be 240 and could still be uh, a nightmare off the edge. Freak um, McCord's a, a pretty studly, uh, you know, right now he's, about, he's probably like in that 6'3", 220 range. Um, he could be 240. I don't think that'd be a big problem. He could definitely play defensive end. Uh, right now it's kind of a South Carolina thing. He's definitely a little more SEC. Another Tampa kid. So, you know, there are those connections that he has to USC and, and, and Lane Kiffin, and he did come out over the summer and was pretty impressive at the Rising Stars camp. Um, so USC's got a, got a shot there, but uh, it kind of seems like he's a little more, um, I want to stay close to home, stay in the southeast, and South Carolina seems to be the school that he really likes the most right now. Um, I think with Dante Fowler Jr., that's hard to figure out. You know, one week it sounds like he's going to take his official visit to USC, then the next week his dad tells a Florida State site that, no, he's done with the recruiting process, he's not going to take any more official visits. Um, he is a flat-out stud of a stud as a defensive end. Um, no tweener, really. He's not the tallest guy in the world, but he's not really a tweener. He's going to definitely be a defensive end, a weak-side defensive end. Um, he's playing around that 230-235 range. Uh, and, um, you know, one of the better players in this class overall. I, I think he, I mean, Florida State has a, has a fantastic class that they're trying to keep and they're trying to hold on to, and that might be one of the top guys, if not the top guy that they actually have in that class. So um, he's a stud, and I wouldn't compare him to Jason Gibson at all. I think he's definitely a guy that could come in and, you know, he, he could literally compete, I think, from early on in the season for that spot that Nick Perry probably is going to vacate going to the NFL. Okay, and then one last one. We have Mark and La Quinta. Um, we kind of went a little long again this week. La Quinta right? the hotel or La Quinta the city? The city, I believe. Uh, <laughs> so he was talking about, it's kind of scholarship math. And just to let people know, we are going to do a bunch of stories on this. There's gonna, it's going to be a big story of how USC kind of gets under this. But he was just listing some numbers that with 80 players right now under scholarship and 13 seniors leave, that goes, you go down to 67. A few juniors leave, you can get down to 64. 
Uh, Robbie Boyer is not going to have a scholarship renewed. He said he's leaving at 63. Uh, Lane Kiffin's already said he wants to bring in like five early enrollee guys. Um, you know, it doesn't leave a whole lot of room uh, for people from the class of actually 2012. Uh, he said we'd be over the 75 limitation due to the five scholarships in the spring. How does that work under sanctions? He's just talk, kind of talking about how's this going to work out. And I think this is a big story, and we'll have a lot more on this, but maybe just give a few thoughts on it right now. I was going to wait for the next Trojan Blast. I was going to say, and we'll get back to that on the next Trojan we Blast. We can if you week, want. So stay tuned. <laughs> we can do a teaser. Uh, well, we'll probably know as much next week as we do this week, which is not a whole lot. Um, <laughs> we don't really know how they're going to get down. There's, there's a handful of players on the team right now that uh, because of injury, um, because of uh, just maybe a lack of playing time, you look and you go, these are guys that may not be there next year. Um, there might be some surprises. You know, I, I don't want a list because we don't want to sound like we're trying to promote guys to not be on the team next year. But there are obvious guys that, you know, are, are injured or have, have had injury problems that kind of plague them that they may not be able to recover from. I mean, a, a good example would be Patrick. Uh, Hall, who's had two ACLs. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, can he come back and actually play, contribute at USC uh, coming back from those two surgeries? He really struggled to be able to come back from that first surgery. I mean, it took him a long time to recover from that, a lot longer than a guy like DJ Morgan did. So, you know, you have to start to look at those guys and be realistic and say, you know, are all these players that didn't play this year at all because of injury, do they have the ability to come back next year? I don't know if it's going to be one of these things where USC actually looks at the roster and it's like an NFL situation where they say, okay, you're cut, you're cut, you're cut, because you're not good enough. I don't know if it's going to need to come to that. It may be one of these things where they just look at the roster and say, look, we got a lot of medical guys that just, you know, they're not going to be able to play for the program, you know, they can transfer and try to play somewhere else, but we're going to be realistic with you and say, look, you're just kind of going to be going through the motions and, and, and really can't contribute to the team and being at 75, you know, we, we just don't have room for that. I, you know, it's really 75 is kind of a misleading number because, you know, and we've kind of talked about it, but, you know, Pete Carroll was never at 85 scholarship players every year. There's no university that necessarily is only at that 85, and every one of those 85 guys are guys that you recruited out of high school and gave scholarships to. More times than not, it's like 79, 80, and then the rest of those guys you got, you know, four or five guys that end up getting scholarships that are walk-on players. That's really, and we've touched on this, really worked out like Kyle McGrady suffers not being able to get a scholarship it's those kind of extra scholarships that are there for the walk-ons that you try to you know give them uh, a little bit of a, um, you know an incentive to be able to work hard and try to get a scholarship and not have to pay to go to school that's what you're going to see missing from USC in the program they're really not going to be that ability to give those extra scholarships to walk on so you're going to have to hit that 75 with all guys that, you know, you really feel like are going to be able to contribute to the program. And if they're able to do that and they're able to, you know, really get the most out of that 75, you know, your 75 uh, is, or your 85 is not better than our 75 type deal, um, you, then you're really able to still have a, a, a program that can take and run. I mean, you know, Lane Kiffin talked about the guys that they actually used this year, the rotation of the roster. It wasn't anywhere near 75. And, I mean, you know, you're only 21 to play – on a team uh, going, you know, first starters on defense and, and offense, really the question becomes scout team. The question becomes, you know, the backups. It's not even the two deep that's a question. You're only in the 40 guys with a two deep. It's really more of do you have guys on the scout team that can give your offense, your first team offense, a look during the week when you're practicing. You know, you, you have those guys that can go and play and, and be, you know, uh, DeAnthony Thomas during the week when you're getting ready to play Oregon. You know, do you have that quarterback on your uh, on your roster that's backing up your starter that can give you a look that can be Andrew Luck? That's what made USC so good, you know, for so long because they were able to practice against really good players and they were able to prepare and kind of get ready in scout team situations with those players. And obviously, special teams is also something that adds to that. People go, you know, I really wish we wouldn't have burned George Farmer's um, red shirt. I wish we wouldn't have burned Amir Carlisle's red shirt. They didn't really get the ball a lot on offense. Yeah, but those guys were playing special teams the whole year. And those guys did some great things on special teams. I mean, George Farmer was playing gunner. Amir Carlisle was playing gunner. Those guys were going down there and they were making plays. They weren't necessarily making a bunch of tackles, but you need somebody on that gunner team that's fast, that can get downfield, and can you know kind of steer that return man into the guy that actually makes the tackle. So you know, there's, there's a lot of that that goes on as well. And so you know that's really where you start to go, okay, that 
that that 75. I mean, are we getting the most out of the 75 that we need? So, you know, we'll we'll, we'll see how it goes. It's definitely the numbers are going <laughs> to be at the end. You know, how how do they pick and choose? And I, I think a greater question also, maybe than just on the current roster is, it's it, you know, obviously USC they finish strong. How does that kind of play out towards the end of the year when they maybe have you know three, four receivers that all want to commit? And you're kind of going, okay, who do we want? You know, do we have to say no to somebody? Or are we going to get somebody at the last minute and, and we have two commitments and all we, all we want is two receivers and all of a sudden this guy comes in and says, I want to be a Trojan. And it's, you know, three days before signing day. And he's an out-of-state guy. And you're not necessarily sure how solid of a commitment that is. You know, that's just where it becomes hard, you know. And, but I will tell you this. Lane Kiffin he has a good read on kids. He is very good at reading kids. I know coaches, you know, that have come and gone that don't necessarily make the best projections when they, you know, they think they're getting everybody. <laughs> you, can't, you, can't, you can't do that. You have to be more of a pessimist. You have to be a realist, and you really kind of have to have this vibe when you talk to a kid. You know, is he legitimate? Is he really being straight up with me? Because nowadays kids say a lot of things, and they have a hard time saying no to people. So that's one good thing about Kiffin, I, I think, he'll have a good feel for who's coming and who's just talking the talk. All right, Gerard. Well, thanks very much for coming on the show and answering all the recruiting questions. We went another hour. We thought we were going to do a little shorter, but you got another hour recruiting podcast, Trojan Blast, for everyone out there. Thanks for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. I think we got more in on this podcast than maybe last week. So while we were longer, I think we were more efficient with our time. Uh, we need to be maybe even more efficient next time. But you know what? We're getting better. We're improving just like the 2011 USC Trojans. That's a very good analogy. I like it. All right, Gerard, thanks again. And everyone else, thank you for tuning in for our second podcast of the week. We'll be back again next week on the Peristyle Podcast. You can check us out, peristylepodcast.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 